Welcome to Feminist Erotica, a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women. Join Jera, Karen, and Princess for stimulating interviews that explore feminist representations of desire, as well as short and sweet erotic snippets read by the authors themselves. This episode is sponsored by Just the Tip, Rebellious Magazine's inclusive sex and relationship advice column where you'll find interviews with sexuality researchers and educators, as well as compassionate responses to anonymous questions. Check it out at rebelliousmagazine.com slash just dash the dash tip. Today I'm talking to Jane Renault and Lauren Emily. Lauren Emily is a writer and performer living in Chicago with her cat, Versace. Her erotica has been featured in Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 5, as well as Best Magazine and the fantastic website, Belessa.co. Lauren is the author of the YA novel, Satellite, and the forthcoming YA nonfiction book, Dealing with Drama. And her short story, I Saw Her Again, appears in the Holiday Haunts-themed anthology, Link by Link, out this December. Jane Renault is a long-winded, smutty wordsmith who likes to fill her pages with bisexual babes and fierce creatures who take what they want, scandal and infidelity, group fun and smug solo sessions, and maybe a little magic. A good metaphor will turn her on more than a pretty face ever could, and she lives and loves in Montreal, Canada, where she rules as the smut queen behind the curtains at Belessa. Describe the company and describe your role in it for the podcast. Sure. Um, so Belessa is kind of a one-stop shop like sexuality platform. We have the porn videos. We've got the erotica, which is all me. We've got a sex toy shop that's up and running now as a, for the past, I can't remember now, year, two years. It's going really well now anyways. I've been very much um, on the customer service side of things to help support through the uh, the COVID upheaval because yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of exploded overnight. Everyone was locked in. It's like, we need to take care of ourselves now. Right. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, it started out as just this idea of like, what if porn was made um, at least like respecting also the female perspective from day one, mm-hmm. like what would that look like? And that was kind of the premise of, of everything that it's turned into. Um, so my role there now, and from the beginning, I was the first uh, hire. I was brought on to build the erotica department, I suppose. So I'm the, I don't really know what my title is. It switches all the time. I'm the head of erotica, VP of erotica, smut queen, whatever you want to call it. But um, I occupy like an editor and curator role. I'm the one who has um, built up the free uh, erotic story collection by working with the writers and editing their works and like combing through submissions at the time. Our like call for submissions is closed right now just because I can only do so much at one time. <laughs> and totally. and uh, we're looking to, we're going, we are revamping the like what erotica looks like on Belessa right now so there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes but primarily uh yeah I've been an editor and a community builder and it's been yeah I've been with them for almost four years now full-time so and I'll just start it out with this weird little Craigslist ad and they were looking for erotica writers (laughs) and here we are today that's awesome Thank you both for joining me Jane has been a great supporter of this podcast as we've gotten started and then I heard Rachel Bustle Kramer read part of Lauren's piece at the last event at Women and Children First. And I also reviewed Best Women's Erotica of the Year. 
And then I was looking at pieces from Balesa and happened across one of Lauren and Melise pieces and featured it for uh, our Instagram account. So it just feels like, Lauren, you keep coming up. <laughs> she does that. Yeah, <laughs> which is super fun. Lauren, I was looking at your upcoming nonfiction book, Dealing with Drama, and it's all about, it's targeting teens, right? Helping them learn how to navigate complicated situations. Yeah. Can you, yeah, talk about it. Um, well, actually, I wrote that in two months. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So what happened was it was almost exactly a year ago. It was a little before Labor Day. I got an email from an educational publisher and they mm -hmm. said, you be interested in writing a book as part of this series for teen girls because you're a published young adult author. And, but it was like, but yeah, here's the catch. It's due in two months. Oh my gosh. Need your full outline your bibliography, because that was the thing, like it's nonfiction. So it had to be like heavily researched as well. They're like, we'll need that in like five weeks. And it was kind of like, oh my God, because I have a day job too. And also at the time I was getting ready to start rehearsals for a show that I was in at Second City's Blackout Cabaret. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I guess I'm writing a nonfiction book for teen girls in two months. I can't say enough about the Chicago Public Library system because they are amazing and I was able to get everything I needed and I used a lot of articles from like Psychology Today and stuff as well. So it was a very different process than, than my usual fiction writing, which is just a lot of like vomiting on the page and then kind of refining it. But this was very, very deliberate. Like usually I don't even outline for fiction and I had to outline for this, but um, it was, it was such a good experience and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And like, I loved books like that when I was, when I was in that target audience. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping it can help. It can help somebody. I'm curious, uh, publishing both, erotica and YA books like do you use the same are you able to use the same platform is there pushback I do um I think I'm on a enough of a small scale that it just hasn't been much of an issue I use I mean basically I use my last name for YA and I don't mm -hmm. for anything like sex or adult related because I've also gotcha written articles for Playboy about sex and stuff like that. And it's just, yeah, I just, I didn't want to have a whole other name. I just, I just didn't. And again, like I'm, I'm under the radar enough that it's not a big deal. And I figure if it ever becomes a big deal, like I'll, I'll deal with it then. But it all just sort of happened kind of fast too. I, was reached out to by Jane from Belessa um, a couple weeks after I'd submitted my first story to her. And that's when they were just getting started. And a couple weeks later, I sold a story to Bust Magazine. It was kind of a connection through like a friend of a friend. And, and one of their one-handed reads. One of their one-handed reads. Yeah. And cool. I ended up doing three of those in 2017, 18, and 19. And then that same month that I signed a contract with Belessa and with Bust, I got a publishing contract for my YA novel, which had been on submission forever. So it all happened in one month. Um, so it was also kind of like 
I knew I was going to have to set up like writer platforms on social media and stuff like that. And I was like, I literally don't have time to come up with a whole other persona. I'm like, we're just going to use the last name and not, and just that's, that's going to be that. So. Nice. Yeah. I have three different platforms right now because most of my rent gets paid doing business blogging. And then I also have like a sex worker name that I just use separately for uh, privacy and safety. And because like Jane said, like we have to band together because the government's out to get us. But with my, um, so I write business stuff under EJ Brown and I do my like lifestyle and relationship stuff under Jared Brown. Cause I, I ran into this issue where businesses would tag me on Twitter with something that I've been writing for an agency about other businesses. And then I remember like it happened once where the next tweet down was this thing that I wrote about pony play for Marie Claire. And I'm just like, man, I really don't want this business to be saying like, Oh, this person just wrote about me. Let me look at their Twitter and then like see the next thing being pony play. So, um, yeah, I just was like, all right, I'm going to maintain all these different identities and personas so that I can pay rent, be myself and do what I want to do. <laughs> but actually, like, I think that maybe this would be a fascinating foray into what it, personal growth and, and self-care is like, how we have these different parts of ourselves that are, are authentic or that pay the bills or whatever, and, and how we maintain all of them at the same time, you know. Jane, I know you use multiple personas. Like, how do you, how do you navigate authenticity with different identities? Does that question resonate? Yeah, it does. And I I think I know what you mean because I've never been using the pseudonym as a means of privacy or safety because everyone in my life knows what I'm doing because this is my full-time job and it would just be way too much work to try and keep that secret. (laughs) uh, So, um, like I use the I use Jane Renault as my my persona name because I kind of like the the secret identity of, of um, that comes along with it. But it's more just like the theme of the of the genre is like you have the pen name and and that I like that. And interestingly enough, Jane has become I feel more authentic in her presentation than Jess ever has been and so or at least the way that like I I act on social media and the way that I connect with people um, yeah it's it's been a cool exercise in discovering like my authentic self through this character and so like even like with my coworkers, they call me Jane most of them and or it switches back and forth like or some kind of combination thereof like and a lot of my friends and family follow me on my on my work accounts because they're curious or they're they're supportive or whatever so I've been very fortunate in that way that I don't need to hide myself or at least that I chose early on that that wasn't something that I was going to put my effort and energy into and that definitely comes from a place of like of privilege it's a luxury to be able to do that and just hopefully it won't be a problem in the future and it won't be because anything I don't want to work with someone who's not okay with what I'm doing right now (laughs) totally I had this interesting moment with my therapist a while back where like, so I, my, my full name is Emily Jara Brown. And when I decided that I was going to start writing full time, I decided to go by Jara because it just was more Googleable, basically. And so I made the switch at 33 to start going by my middle name. 
And a lot of my friends, my partners at the time made the switch super easily because they felt like the name suited me. And then, you know, like six years later or something, I started realizing that I put so much authenticity into the name Jira that Emily started to feel like it was all of my baggage, like my conservative Christian upbringing or me not figuring out how to be monogamous or like all these things that I now thought of as Emily, whereas Jara was authentically polyamorous and authentically proud of plus size, being plus size and all these things. I was like, oh, my first thought though was like, I'm going to do a scene about this. I'm going to make somebody like call me Emily and have me like take it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I get, I do... I do resonate with like the like the name starting to feel um, authentic, even if it's a chosen name, I guess. And actually, it's interesting. Jane is my given middle name as well. So oh, funny. <laughs> very some parallel lives <laughs> or paths rather. Nice. I sort of, yeah, I very rarely use my last name anymore. Mm. I use it at work and like, or my day job. And like, that's not only unavoidable, but it's kind of like, that's my work persona because I have like an admin job and my boss knows about everything. But I started using, when I got back into performing, I started using Lauren Emily just on social media. And that was more like for my privacy and, and everything like that. And yeah, ever since then, some people just call me Lauren Emily. And yeah, that feels very authentic to me. It's not that I have a problem with my last name, but I also was brought up religious. I was brought up Catholic. And also where I was brought up, like my family has a business. So like that's a last name that a lot of people know and have associations with. So it did feel unexpectedly free when I started mm-hmm. a Lauren Emily more than more than anything else. Because I mean, there are people in my life who either don't know my last name or like couldn't just come up with it. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And just, yeah, I feel, I feel very free. (laughs) That's fascinating. So all three of us basically messed with our given names in some way too. And I think we all did it online in some way too, right? Like, so I feel like a lot of people in my life, I don't know. I don't always even know like people's last names that I date because I met them on Tinder or something. They don't give their full name or their real name on Facebook and it doesn't come up in conversations. Um, I definitely know people who like, I don't know their legal name. And you know, back to it with, you know, the queer and trans community too, where there are a lot of, there are a lot of chosen names that aren't made legal for various reasons. Sometimes it's just very hard to get that done. And and yeah, I remember, I remember having that realization where it's like, I don't know this person's legal name. And then it's like, you know, who cares? Like what they've told me is their name is their name. Yeah. You get to decide what matters. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. So let, let's tie this back to erotica or erotic por- performance in some way. It, it feels like all three of us, like we're able to reinvent ourselves or, or come to the core of what's what's true about us and then we put it into these personas but these personas are not just the end of the conversation like then we also then create new characters out of this like more authentic version of ourselves 
Yeah, I've definitely noticed the progression over the years. Um, when I started, it was more, it's never been autobiographical, but they're definitely, I drew more from personal experiences in the early days, like most of us do, I think. And as I've grown as a storyteller, as a writer, as a person, my characters have taken on different aspects of me than they did in those, those first forays. And I can see, I can look back on my older works and go, whoa, like this was a lot of this version of me. And now I'm, now I'm pulling on this one. And sometimes it's almost frustrating for my works in progress that have been waiting for so, me to finish them for so long. And I look at them and I'm but I'm not you anymore. Like this is a part of me that I am so far beyond and I don't know how to reconnect with you in order to finish the story. So it, yeah, yeah. It, it's an interesting, definitely an interesting part of the journey to see which parts are the most important to us at the time or what we're evaluating, what we're exploring, what we're trying to purge maybe, whatever that exercise might be. Lauren, do you have thoughts? Uh, yeah, actually my erotica writing started out as very autobiographical. I slept with one of my coworkers at a job, like this was like five jobs ago. And I originally wrote what would be my first published story like years ago and it was just for me. and. Then I had a friend look at it who's a romance author and she gave me some good feedback and she really liked it, but there wasn't really any place I could publish it. And like, I was a blogger at the time, but I wasn't like a sex blogger. So I was like, I feel weird putting this anywhere and like, I'd ideally like to get paid for it, but there's no one, nothing. And so I had basically almost forgotten about it when... I heard that this adult entertainment website was looking for like short erotic stories. And I was like, okay, like what the hell I sent it over. And that is how I met Jade. And yeah. And eventually it came out when I was talking to her, I was like, yeah, this was a true story. Like this was, this is something that really happened. Like a lot of it was because I wrote it fairly like, soon after this one night stand happened and um actually the person found out about it and was he's also a writer so like he was very cool with it I think was very flattered but yeah I um so it started out as as me talking about my real experiences and there's still there's still some of that but there's also I think Jane put it very well, like I've grown as a writer and as a person and there are different parts of me that that come into stories, especially now that like I'm out as bi, which did not happen until I'd been writing erotica steadily for several months. So mm. I can relate to that too, that like, well, I think more kink than writing for me is the thing that allowed me to come out in different ways. It's like you sort of have to play with it in some way creatively for it to feel real. Definitely. Jane, do you have do you have a story you're working on that you can sort of describe about like something that feels authentic at the moment that you're working through through a story? Is that fair to ask? Mm, something yeah, that you recently actually, published. Yeah. The the one that I am working on right now, I technically started well, if we got get really technical, it was like July of 2016, but it was like summer of 2017. I was really working on it because it was going to be this long form story I was going to write for Balesa. And it's been this ongoing, like on and off work in progress because I didn't have a lot of time to be writing after I'd started it because I got really deep into like full-time editor mode. And then things have just come and gone along the way. So I've revived it. And what it was 
was really beautiful at the time and it made sense. And I was mm-hmm. processing certain relationships and feelings and whatnot. And I look at it now and I'm just like, Oh God, I'm so bored of this. Like this doesn't even feel like me anymore. It felt so important at the time. And now I'm just like, Oh God, like I hate these characters. I just want to kill them off already. Like just, I've never killed someone in an erotic story, but like, maybe this is the time. I don't know. I turned it into a frame story where there's like, we're in the present and that's the flashback. And then, and then coming back around. And so I can honor the story that was authentic at its time while making it authentic today as well. So I have some people beta reading it for me right now to see if it makes any sense at all. But, <laughs> but the exercise is that, yeah, like we, we are growing and changing constantly. And, um, and it's really cool to be able to look back on that older self and go, yeah, yeah, you, you were valid then and we're valid now. And, it's cool to see that transition and yeah, honor the changes, I suppose. Lauren, do you have one that comes to mind? I actually just finished one like a month ago and it was about pegging, which is not something I've ever been interested in, like for Mm -hmm. me, but the idea just kind of came to me and I couldn't really let it go. And I was kind of like, okay, whatever that means, let's honor that and write about oh. it. And actually in beta read it for me and had some fantastic feedback. And I hope it will be published somewhere someday. But yeah, that was a very interesting experience because that's, that's not something I've ever done before. And so I really had to like, I had to do some Googling. I had to like really think of the mechanics of it. The other one that comes to mind is one you can actually find on Balesa. And it's one I wrote before lockdown happened, but it is about like Skype sex, essentially. And it was kind of like when it was eventually published, which I I think it was published about when lockdown started and it was like, oh man, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely been one of the most read stories since like COVID started. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A lot of sense. And I mean, like, it's like, there's two people in person and then they're Skyping with a third, but yeah, it was just like, oh man. Like, and I, I do kind of believe in like that creative people are very intuitive that like mm-hmm. we have this kind of foresight almost and it was just like oh man what did past lauren know <laughs> oh that's actually very interesting too when i was still receiving loads of submissions it was interesting to see the trends in themes like people from all over the world would send like one week it was like all threesomes and one week it was all like I don't know, like bisexual girls, like figuring their things out for the first time. Like there would just be these trends that would come up and I'm like, is there something like, is there a show that just came out or is there something that's about to happen? Like there were, there was, yeah, like these noticeable trends in themes from people who have no connection to each other, except for that they sent me their story. So interesting. Yeah, there is this idea of what the societal subconscious or something. It's interesting to relate that to sex. It does seem like there are certain trends that come up that have to be just this weird cocktail of politics and cultural power dynamics and like all these things that end up making us want similar things at similar times, you think? Mm -hmm. Like the way that we process those things or escape from them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It just kind of exploded overnight. Everyone was locked in. It's like, we need to take care of ourselves now. (laughs) Right.
I feel like on a lot of porn sites that would target cis men, at least, or even gay men, I guess, like, written erotica is not something they think much about. Um, yeah. They're very separate. Yeah, there's always this distinction between, like, yeah, women read erotica and men watch porn, which is not true on either side. Like, anyone right. can enjoy either of those things, um, which is why I think that... Um, like the Balesa approach has been really cool because you have people hopping over from one side to the other, depending on where they start. That's not necessarily where they end up and mm-hmm. gender has nothing to do with it. Um, so that's been really cool to see and uh, um, like have the proof of that because we've always known this, but like <laughs> people haven't had the permission to explore in that way for so long. But I think that the, uh, the written erotica, it just allows you to experience eroticism in a in a totally different way you use your imagination more you're going to customize it more than being prescribed these images mm-hmm. and there's a lot of freedom and safety in that because you control the pace you control like who it is that you are in the scene if you or like or like if you're an observer or if you're engaging with it like there's so much more control and mm-hmm. for a lot of people there's yeah it's it's safer and more welcoming um, for for that exploration, especially if like you're doing it for the first time or mm-hmm. working through some things that you haven't been able to um, acknowledge in any other space. I feel like when sense? I it does, and I was I feel like when I when I want to get off and I just use like something generic like Pornhub, I just feel lazy. Yeah. You know? Uh, it is too. It's yeah. very functional. Like I need to get this done and whatever. Like I need to just get it over yeah. with. Whereas with erotica, I think people like I've heard other people say this where um, they do it, they read it to like get in the mood and then they build from there. Whereas like the porn, mm-hmm. like the visual porn is like, I, I might already be there or I don't even care. I just need to like turn on my body and get it done. <laughs> mm. Yeah. What else has surprised you in this job? What have you learned about the exploration of like sexuality through? Definitely a lot of people have um, used it uh, either as a reader or a writer or both to come to terms with their sexuality. Maybe they have never acknowledged um, their queerness uh, until they start like digging into these words. Um, I've had a lot of writers uh, or people who have submitted stories uh, and some of them that I've ended up working with and having deeper conversations where it it was through reading somebody's story on our platform that Mm. they started to feel they had the permission to be their authentic self and whether it was like from a kink perspective or their bisexuality or something like that like that has been one of the most um, amazing and fulfilling things I think so far totally do you feel like you have much connection to the readers like is it is it through social media that you stay connected or yeah the readers are I don't have a lot of connection to them. Um, like okay. I can look at the analytics and I have these like broad like numbers to look at, but the readers are not super vocal because I think of the nature of the media right. uh, or medium rather like that you can't, you can't like, like the pages on Facebook because if depending on your job and your family, like that's not an option and not everyone, totally. the readers don't really live on Twitter. And then Instagram is kind of like an in-between space too, where like, we can't um, put everything up because we'll get shut down. We've lost our accounts before. And so um, the readers are quietly enthusiastic, um, mm-hmm. whereas like the writers uh, are a lot more, I'm way more connected with the writers. Um, what am I not asking? 
about mm-hmm. about erotica as uh, personal growth or self care? Like, what comes to mind? Is a good question, <laughs> and I'm not sure. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I just realized. Like, I, I mean, okay. So I've been doing um, the sex and relationship advice column for Rebellious Magazine for a number of years now, and one of the things that surprised me about doing it and the way the column has worked is like it started out me just answering anonymous questions. And then I quickly learned that a lot of these anonymous questions run together. Like um, whether somebody's experiencing pelvic pain or um, trying to figure out how to be comfortable with a partner after trauma or they've been dating or like married for a long time and have lost some of the like sexual steam a lot of the answers are the same you know and it's just like a different way of spinning the same thing like listening to your gut trusting your experience slowing down and like communicating before before acting tearing down sexual scripts like i feel like i write the same thing over and over again in different ways and I notice that a lot about a lot of these conversations now I'm starting to do the podcast. It's like, yes, we are all experiencing the same things where we're learning how to be authentic through sexual exploration and creativity. And um, we're learning how to fight patriarchal values through characters that explore them in different ways and stuff. But I also realized that I'm probably continuing the same conversation because I'm the one asking the questions. (laughs) It is, I find that erotica is really just about what everyone's just seeking permission. They want to know that what they're exploring or like what turns them on, is it weird? Like, oh, that like, they don't want to be strange as a result of what it is that excites them. And especially if it's something that is super taboo and then they're like, well, what does this mean? It doesn't have to mean anything. Your body's turned on and you're fine. And like, as long as no consent boundaries are being compromised, then it's okay to explore that just because you like, reading about a certain like dynamic doesn't mean you want to engage it in it in real life or would even be able to like experience that level of pleasure if you tried to even role play it in real life it's just it's just what happens with like the communication between your body and your brain at the time and that's Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not really sure what questions i'm i'm not a good question like ideas person (laughs) no i i think the permission to permission is fascinating this idea of being weird like it's funny to me it's paradoxical how like we want to be unique but only in certain ways you know like as we get to become more of ourselves it's like notice my individuality but then also tell me it's okay (laughs) yeah patriarchal messages are so hard to unlearn i feel like i I experience that and I see that even more as I get older. Like this is, a lot of this has been so ingrained in us. Like even if we weren't brought up super conservative, it's like those those messages are still prevalent. And in my case, I didn't come out as bi for a long time because 
I didn't think it was valid because there's still a lot of biphobia and bi erasure in the queer community. And like my first exposure to a bisexual character was The L Word, which is a show that will always have a special place in my heart as problematic as it was. But it was always like, she was the butt of a joke a lot of times. So I was like, okay, this is clearly, this is not a legitimate thing. I can't like, you know, girls and other genders. And then I kind of started writing erotica for people like me because I was like, surely I cannot be me. I know I'm not the only one, but it feels like that sometimes. And then once the stories started getting good feedback, it was like, oh, okay, like maybe this is a legitimate thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my head knows it's legitimate, but the rest of me was a whole other story. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. That was my own little tangent. No, I think it does. Like it's, it's permission to, to be by, to identify as by, right? Yeah. It's permission to like, to give yourself permission to be you is what it comes down to, I think, because nobody can give you that permission. You have to assume it yourself, but yeah. Yeah. If people are in the, the situation, like, because yes, I think a, a lot of people are. Where can they find some of your stories that you feel like explore being bi in a way that would be comforting? Sure. So on Belessa, I have an actually historical erotica serial. I think it's seven parts um, and it's called Atta Girl. And it's set in 1926 Chicago, although I'm sure a lot of it is not historically accurate. I did very cursory research before I started. Very good regardless. (laughs) And it's one that I feel like I, I mean, like Jane, I don't hear a lot from readers like directly, but I feel like it's one that a lot of people have connected with because it is a young woman who moves to Chicago in the 1920s from a farm town and she's she's not a virgin she's had one sexual experience and it wasn't very good but she really starts exploring her sexuality through various lovers she takes and the serial actually ends in a way I did not anticipate. It was like, oh, okay, this is what the characters do. Oh, great. But it is a very bisexual story. Um, I don't know if she ever uses that identifier because I wasn't sure if that would be something people said at the time. But like, mm-hmm. that is that is one. There's also a serial on Valesa, and I believe all of it's free. It's called Camp Arden. And it is about a group of very horny 20-something camp counselors um, at this arts camp. And there is a lot of bisexuality and pansexuality in there and just various kind of couplings and throuplings. And it was just, I remember pitching it to Jane and just being like, can I just have these characters like just going nuts after the campers go to bed, like over this one crazy summer. And she's like, yes, do it. (laughs) And it was one that was very freeing to to write. And like kind of characters come in and out. And there are a couple of, there's a couple of non-binary stories as well. And yeah, that's one that, that's one where I think like you see the characters giving themselves permission and then that might be easier for the reader to do as well. Jane, what about your own writing? What do you feel like, what are some stories that give readers permission in some way? And what is that thing that they're giving readers permission to do or be? 
I think it's uh, definitely, there's a lot of the same thing where it's like permission to explore your bisexuality. My, one of my, one of my most read stories is one that I just uh, kind of remembered yesterday. It's called the birthday bash and it's, um, it's a first, uh, it's, yeah, it's a threesome story. It's her, like the, the narrator's first threesome and she's sort of starting to realize like, oh, maybe I am that attracted to girls as well. Like, hmm. And then like the process, like live in that moment of like exploring those feelings and thoughts and things that you're like, I'll, I'll unpack this later. I'm going to enjoy this right now. And, and um, that one has been very popular for, um, for that permission reason, I think. And then the other one, uh, it's called Comings and Goings. And it's um, from the perspective of a female protagonist hanging out in an airport and turns on her dating app and puts the radius down really low just to see if there's anyone who she could hook up with while she's there and uh and then has a nice little time in a bathroom with a, <laughs> a beautiful stranger and nice. again just like just the permission to be like a little bit wild um like it's outlandish but that's the beauty of fiction and uh yeah i think those those are the stories that that are the most popular that and just keep going was my most recent publication and it's on the all these are on balesa uh, just keep going was really good uh, a really well received there's a bit of a twist ending at the end but it is just like this go-getter character who's like she knows what she wants she's like exploring this with this like studly bartender because i have a problem with smooth operating bartenders it's probably <laughs> my greatest kink um but so it's this, this beautiful like like there's communication there's like flirting there's intensity there's like and then there's also like her really like holding on to her power um, all the way through to the end. And that resonated. That was the first time I've had um, readers come barging into my DMs being like, this was the most important story I've ever read. Wow. Yeah. This this moved me in all kinds of ways. Like I felt everything. And then like, and like, yeah, it was, it was a really incredible um, outpouring that I got on that one that I was not anticipating. I kind of put it out being like, I hope this is okay because it doesn't really fit the script, but it turned out really well. So (laughs) yeah, you can go check it out yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I'll put, I'll put links to these, uh, the ones I can find in the show notes so people can easily find them. Uh, I realized a couple things. One is that I think erotica in general, is this true? No. A lot of erotica offers people the permission to be slutty in ways that we don't find otherwise. And safely too. Safely slutty. Mm -hmm. Like whether it's free of judgment or like if you want to have unprotected sex, like you can do that because they're fine or you can have, you can fit like those conversations in there that are usually awkward in real life um, or uncomfortable. Yeah, you can do it all that. You can just let loose and and not have to worry about like the consequences <laughs> of real life, whatever they might be. Totally. So when you are looking for submissions again, what's on your wish list? Mm, definitely um, more like intersectionally marginalized voices. I think that we've done a really good job of encouraging, the, especially the, the queer femme factor in, but I'd love to hear more from trans people, from non-binary people, from um, people of color and black people and indigenous people. I would love to have all of those voices come in because we haven't had enough of them. And I think that that's another thing, like we don't have the representation yet and so then there isn't that permission to say hey like we are like you are welcome here like we have 
we have the proof, I guess. And um, so it's opening yeah. those doors up to more and more voices. That's it. I don't really care so much about the themes. As long as everyone is consenting and of age and having a great time, um, it's fine. Magic, real life, whatever in between, like I, I want it all. But mm -hmm. when it comes down to it, it's the it's perspective of the, the writer that I would love to see more of like variation because we've kind of like, yeah, what we have is amazing. And now like we want to open it up further. Totally. Where can people find you both? In terms of like Instagram, Twitter, website, um, URLs, all that fun stuff. <laughs> I don't have a, like a smooth way of doing this. So um, I'm on primarily Instagram these days. I'm at Jane Renault, uh, all one word. On Twitter, I'm Jane underscore Renault. Um, I do have a website, janerinal.co, but I'm not very active there these days because writing has been impossible. Um, and then everything else is just at valesa.co. I am on Facebook at Lauren Emily Writes. Um, I am on Twitter at Lauren Emily Rye, W-R-I, because I ran out of characters when I was making my account. I talk a lot about TV over there, so like... Yeah. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Lauren Emily writes. I, uh, I know you referenced Jara, my story and best women's erotica volume five, and it's about aerialists and I'm an aerialist myself. So I post a lot of pictures and videos and, um, I'm not great, but, <laughs> and people seem to like to, to see that. So, and, that's also one where on my Instagram, I have my link tree, which is like links to just all of like where you can order my books and stuff like that. Yeah. I can't believe we didn't talk about the aerialist stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we ran out. I want, I want to ask one more question. It, it, if it doesn't, it'll just get cut out if this doesn't work, but what are you actively working on giving yourself permission for right now? Good question. Oh, that is, that is deep. <laughs> uh, I guess for me, it's like broad answer is I'm working on giving myself permission to either like, I guess, sit with or like, I'm, I'm grappling a lot with like deep uh, old fears, essentially, and trying to um, not let the fear control me, whether it's fear of failure or rejection or whatever. They're like those big overarching ones and that have been looming, especially these past six months of like a lot of deep introspection. Um, and so not like the, there's a big, a lot of fear that I won't ever be able to write again, or that I, if I do, it won't be that good. And, and that's just silly. So, um, that's, I'm trying to give myself permission to acknowledge that this is part of the process and to trust it. Mm. <laughs> Nothing, uh, yeah, I don't have any big creative project answers right now for that because there are none. I guess in my case, uh, giving myself permission to rest, um, which has mm -hmm. always been a thing for me before and during quarantine, um, I think there has been this pressure to like be extra productive because I have extra time now that I'm not commuting or whatever. And I, I have been fairly productive and that's been great, but it's also like, okay, but you can also just take time to just be you and like percolate on ideas, which is an mm. important creative process. 
And I think in the case, I'm working on another YA novel right now. And I think in my case, it's also just giving myself permission to fuck up and be like, okay, this is a shitty first draft. It's going to get better, but you can kind of play with it. Like there's no hard deadline here. And so that is, that is a day-to-day process for me. (laughs) I think in general, it's hard for creative people to be creative right now because we just don't have the extra energy it takes to tackle new things. Um, like how can we, how are we supposed to plot anything when like every day is exactly the same time doesn't exist anymore how am I supposed to put an arc over that <laughs> yeah um there is there's an essay in this book on proofs and theories by Louise Gluck and I'm I'm trying to find the name of it because it gets super heady but it, it's meant a lot to me as a writer and I wanted to bring up the idea the essay is called on impoverishment and it's this idea like, so, I mean, she's has all the acclaim as a poet and talked about how like there were whole years where she couldn't write a word and she gets through these periods by holding this tension that like, if you, if you don't accept that you're in a time of impoverishment, then you're not going to get through it. But if you don't fight the time of impoverishment, you're not going to get through it. So somehow you have to do both and balance those two needs to accept and fight back. But I I find that really useful as a writer to know that both are are valid and necessary. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, hopefully it's useful. (laughs) I was trying to think what I'm giving myself permission to do. Like, so I'll, I'll admit that like I, I published um, my first few erotica stories on Amazon that have to do with a specific fetish that I take a lot of phone calls for. And um, I realized that like, oh, these took me like a hundred hours to do and I'm going to make $8 from them. And so I feel like right now my permission, the permission I'm giving myself is to Uh, focus on money until I'm financially stable and not worry about like the creative stuff until I I'm at such a point in my life where I'm stable enough that I can focus on creative stuff and not Mm. be like burned out by it not bringing me income in absolutely yeah that's a very important one that I'm also still working on but (laughs) yeah because if you're stressing about the money it's going to take away from your creative strength hugely totally Thank you both so much for joining, for talking to me about this. It's, I suck at goodbyes, so I don't think I have well, anything. Thanks, thanks for this lovely little like Friday afternoon hangout. Like, yeah. Afternoon, afternoon for me. Right. <laughs> have a great day. Bye. Bye. Feminist Erotica is a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women, hosted by Jara Brown, Princess McDowell, and Karen Hawkins. If you have an idea for a future episode or want to share your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at feministerotica at rebelliousmagazine.com. Follow us on Instagram at Feminist Erotica Podcast, on Facebook at Feminist Erotica, and on Twitter at Feminist Erotic. And make sure you subscribe to us wherever you devour podcasts.